We have been talking about Isaiah 61, and uh, we, we've sort of been on this theme since January, and, um, you know, it's, it's a theme scripture for us as a congregation, and uh, so I'm going to talk about it a little bit more this morning. We started this journey when we had our whole pastoral staff up here um, back in January, so for those who were here, we were sort of laying out the vision of our congregation and, and different things that we're involved in. And uh, I, I want to put a finer point on that this morning, not what we're involved in, but to talk about what is our role as individuals in the community of faith toward the restoration of Isaiah, like in Isaiah 61, toward that restoration. So I want to talk about that this morning, uh, talk, you know, what's our role? How is it that we can join the restoration? Um, so Isaiah 61, once again, I'm just going to give this in bullet points, not the whole chapter, of course. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord has anointed us to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to comfort those who mourn, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, to bring gladness into mourning, to repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. Uh, you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of God. Uh, there's more here too. Uh, but the point is there's, there's ruins all around, uh, there's sadness, but there's going to be rejoicing, there's going to be rebuilding. In fact, we're in the middle of that, uh, that process. I especially want to look at those last two lines this morning. You shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. Um, this scripture is not referring to me and Pastor Joshua and Pastor Jeff, etc. This is referring to us, okay? There was this thing, and then it's been there for a long time, this idea that to be a minister of the gospel simply meant a vocation, that you, you worked at the church and you had a paycheck from there, or you were a missionary, or you were doing something very, very spiritual. And uh, so what, what happened because of that is there's a real bottleneck of kingdom things. Like people thought they weren't equipped. I remember reading a theology, like a theology essay by this scholar who I will not name. He's not alive anymore. But I didn't want to read him after this. He was, he was allegorizing on the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Okay? So he's, he's giving an allegorical interpretation on that. And he was talking about how they were silent and they marched around the city of Jericho. And then suddenly the priests blew the horns. And he, here was his interpretation. The average person, like, just like the Israelites, is not equipped nor called to speak the gospel. It's the job of the clergy. They blow the horns. So everyone else, really what we need to do is just go in lockstep and just be quiet and let the, the word be proclaimed by professionals. What is that nonsense? Total not, right? So this is, you know, also knows why you shouldn't allegorize too far. But anyway, this is not a hermeneutics lesson this morning. Simply said, that's been people's mindset. So I want to tell you this morning, that's just not true. All of us are called to be ministers. You guys, we, we are all priests. And uh, I, I want to show you how I think this can work in this kind of context. Um, I want to give you a, um, a chart here. There's a man named Eric Swanson who showed this to us years ago at a, a One Hope thing up in Portland. Um, he was, the chart actually looks like this, but that's way too hard to read. See, none of you can read it. I'll squinting like that. So I've sort of recreated it here, but this helped me to understand how it is that all of us can be a part of this restoration. Um, 
so we start here. We st- uh, um, in creation, when, when God created, it was very good. Remember, he kept saying, it's good, it's good. He created us, it's very good. The way things uh, should be in the first place, right? Okay, but things didn't stay that way. Unfortunately, there was this thing called the fall when that creation was broken. Everything was broken. Uh, relationship was broken. Relationship with God. Relationship with ourselves. Relationship with others. Relationship with the planet. All of these things. Relationships are broken. And when relationships are broken, everything else breaks. I had a teacher in YWAM who I I've sometimes thought if he overstated this a little bit, but I'm actually not sure. Seeing that every problem we have in the world is actually inherently a relationship problem. Something to think about. At least the vast majority of them are falling under one of those categories. So everything broke in the fall, right? Fortunately, things didn't stay because Jesus came and Jesus brought redemption. Redemption, everything that was lost in the fall was redeemed at the cross. Thank you, Lord. Now, here's the thing. Did that fix everything automatically? Things will not be fully restored until the great day of restoration. See, one day it will be fully restored. Every injustice that we see will be set to right. All the broken things will come back. See, we wait for that day because Jesus came once and he's coming back again. So what do we do in the meantime? Because here's the thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's still a lot of brokenness around. Well, what we do is we, we work with him toward restoration. He invites us to join him in his restoration, in his movement. See, this is what he's about, therefore this is what we're about. And I go back to uh, what, what Jesus did. It was the, like, the first thing he did in his ministry just about is he goes into the synagogue, he opens up and he reads Isaiah 61, and then he closes it and goes, oh, this is about me. <laughs> that, yeah, this is And because we are Jesus' people, and he commissioned us to be about his mission. See, he passed that baton to us, then we are about his mission. Here's what this means. This actually gave me a lot of clarity to understand this. You see, whereas before, uh, um, it's easy to see, again, it's easy to see ministry as something inherently spiritual for me because I grew up in a missions environment. Um, any, Any ministry or life calling had to inherently be international in order to be worth its salt. <laughs> it's really kind of a thing. And, and here's the thing. All of us have struggled or are struggling at one time with understanding, why am I on this earth? You know, like, what, what, is, what is my calling? What is God asking me to do? What is, as Matthew Wicks brought up, the old Michael W. Smith song, my place in this world? Like, where, where, where is he putting me? And and it, so in my mind, in my experience, it was sort of like, now nobody told me this. I don't, this was not a YWAM teaching. But somehow I kind of came away with the idea that if it was going to be important, it had to be international. It had to be somewhere across the world. And it had to be really, really big and inherently spiritual. Okay? Um, so, you know, when, back then when we talk about, well, what is God calling us to? And we'd say something. And here was the encouragement. <laughs> it was always like sort of under the guise of a prophetic thing. But I don't think it was very prophetic, actually. I think it was part of the mindset of the day. People would put their hand on their shoulder and say, this is going to be bigger than you know. Like that was, that was the go-to. Like it's going to be bigger. And it's like, why? 
Are we all called to start international ministries? I'm going to assure you that I am not. I, I, I am not nearly administrative enough to do anything like that, okay? But that's, that was sort of my mindset. So here's the thing. Instead of that, here's what this picture helped me to understand. That anything we do that's leading toward restoration is inherently the work of God. Do you see what I'm saying? Because we're surrounded by brokenness, right? So, not just our vocations, but even our interactions. Are there, is that a godly interaction? Well, I don't know. Did you mention Jesus five times? Maybe you did it. Now, if you did, awesome. Love having, we just had conversation, had a testimony about conversations about Jesus, and that's fantastic and it's beautiful. Does that mean that's the only template? What, sometimes you could just speak encouragement to a person and they've been devastated by a lack of confidence and all these things and when suddenly you tell them, hey, I see you, you're doing a great job. Do you know you're doing the work of God? This should actually you know, help the way that we deal with the people in the service industry for one thing. You know, that, that waiter who's just right on top of it and he's like, man, thank you, you're doing a great job. Or even maybe he's only doing an okay job. You, you could actually really thank him. Look in the eye. Thank you for doing what you do. I appreciate it. Like, you know, that is the work of God. By doing those things, you are rebuilding broken places. And it's vocational too. Don't get me wrong. I, I was thinking about, now this is an incredibly obvious example, okay? But I, I was thinking about nurses. Just because I was in the hospital, uh, uh, you know, last month uh, with Janae when she was first dealing with her stuff. And, and, and you can see when a nurse is really amazing at what they're, you know, you're like, wow, you are wonderful. Like, I am so happy because, you know, they're working on multiple levels, you know. They're working with the brokenness of the body, first of all. And they're trying to bring healing there. But often, often almost all the time, they're dealing with anxiety. They're dealing with like all this, like, oh, I'm so nervous about this treatment or this diagnosis or whatever. And you know what they're doing? They're coming and they're talking calmly and they're bringing peace to a situation, right? They're also bringing clarity. When you're like, I don't understand what the doctor said about this. What does that mean? Here's what that means. Here's what we're going to do. Man, I'll never forget when I was, I was, I guess I just turned 20 and I, I, my appendix burst. And so I was in the hospital and um, I was having an absolutely miserable time, just horrible. <laughs> and, and so amongst, besides the pain and everything that was going on, they, they, they waited too long to operate. It was horrible. So everything was bad. And, um, and I was so irritated um, after, because it went on and became kind of an ordeal. And um, I, I was so tired of having the, the, this... The, <sighs> I had one or two nurses that just couldn't find my vein. And it was like, I was so tired of it and I was so irritated. And they were like young, pretty nurses. So you'd think I would have been happy about that. But I was like, please, just, just give me someone who can find my vein. And I'm going to be, and find this, this, oh, this lady comes in and she was like a wonderful, wonderful woman. She was like in her mid fifties and she's like, pat on the shoulder. It's going to be okay. It's gonna, she finds my vein quickly, and suddenly I'm like, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Some of you guys work in that industry, and thank you, and it's such a beautiful thing. And I want to tell you, you're doing the Lord's work. You're bringing restoration on multiple levels, you see? So thank you for what you do. And I want to say, I think there's people, that, there are so many people working those kinds of jobs that don't even know God, and they're doing His work accidentally. 
that cool? I, I'm, I'm being very serious. Like, and I've told people that before um, in, in different settings. Like, you know what? You're actually doing the Lord's work. I don't even know what you think about that, but I think you're doing God's work. And like, well, thank you. <laughs> you know? and, and that works in, 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 in so many different areas. Now, that is a very, very obvious example, right? You could also talk about firefighters and people that are like, whoa, that's the very serious. But, but what, about, what about some of the day-to-day stuff too? You know what I think? I don't think he's here. To, I haven't seen him. Brian Slater is not here, is he? No, okay. Brian Slater, he, he, uh, he's, he, he has a, 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 he sells cars and he, he's, he's a mechanic and, and his business, when you go in there, I just love this guy. When, it, when, when I come in, I know nothing about cars. Not, not, and, and he knows that I know nothing about cars and that really most of his clients now don't know anything about cars. Not like it was 30 years ago when every guy kind of sort of knew. It's like, no, no, no. But now, you know, he, he explains, but he also knows this. He also knows that sometimes mechanics have had a bad reputation for taking advantage of people. So he's very, very intentional about this. I love bragging on this guy. He'll come in and he's got a whiteboard. And so as he comes in, he is diagramming exactly what he's doing with your car. He's explaining, here's, here's the thing. And he wants to make sure you're comfortable and he's comfortable and understanding. And you know what that's doing? What his goal, he said that, he told me this, I want to restore the reputation of mechanics and car salesmen. Isn't that awesome? How cool is that? So he's not only working to fix my car, he's also working to restore that reputation. That is kingdom work. He is doing God's work. So we're not just talking about vocation, but I think it includes that. Now, let me uh, um, show how this can play out. Um, there we are, by the way. That's, that's where we are. You are here. <laughs> Let's forget. Just in case you don't know. You're on the planet. You're in the multiverse, apparently. That's what that looks like. Okay. Um, this past week, I was down in Alabama with a friend. Some of you guys know him, um, Q Williams. He was a pastor up here, um, and he, he is now pastoring a church um, down in, uh, uh, in Alabama. And he invited us down to this conference, and, and, and Sarah and I went, uh, and this was a powerful thing. It's, I'm just going to be thinking about this for a really long time. When we were down there, we, um, we weren't able to go to all these breakouts, which I'll list in just a second. But we were able to hear this keynote of, of, and hear how this whole thing started. And here's the story. There's a man who was uh, uh, running for attorney general of the state of Alabama. And he had been the district attorney, a pretty much universally respected man of integrity, a, a, a wonderful lawyer, and a, def- a wonderful public servant, just respected across the board. Um, and uh, in June... Um, it was all over the news down there that his wife had taken her own life. He had been an elder at Q's church. Um, they, they all knew her and loved her. And so, you know, instantly when this happens with a public figure, everybody's chattering and the gossip and all these things going on. And so his family comes together and they say, you know what? We just need to tell her story. We need to, we need to just, because this is going to help people. And so this man comes out on camera and they showed this, this video. And he gives a press conference right there. He goes, I'm just going to tell you about my wife's journey. And it was one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen. He was talking about how she had had chronic migraines since she was a child. And those migraines, the doctors never knew what to do. And so finally, um, I'm not sure how many years ago, but a doctor prescribed uh, uh, some very strong medication. He prescribed opioids. And it started working, and so the theory back then was, well, if it's working a little bit, let's just give more. Let's prescribe more and more. And she soon became dependent. 
And it be, it, this, this issue began to just consume her life and she didn't know how to break free and this exacerbated things like her chronic depression that she was already dealing with. And she was so tired of being in pain and her body just was doing all kinds of things and she'd have new problems and she's, I'm so tired of being in pain. And so in June, she ended it. She took her own life and it was this tragic, tragic thing. So at this conference, here is this man, this widower, standing up and talking about his, his wife's life and, and, and what it, he's now, he is now the state attorney general. And he's passionate about opioid addiction. He's passionate about mental health. But it was after she took her own life that my friend uh, Q said, we've gotta do something. We've gotta, we've gotta talk about this in the church because there's this stigma with all of this stuff that, that's just not talked about. Now, I think this is sort of true across the board and I'm thankful that we've had some headway. I'm thankful for things like the Elrod Center. I'm thankful you know, that we're talking about more of this and, and praying into this. But I wanna tell you, in the South where I come from, this is not talked about. And so to have this kind of conference in the middle of that, of, of, of Southern culture is a huge deal. Now, this conference, here are some of the topics t touched on here. I just, I'm not doing an ad for this conference because it's already over. I just want to make a point about this. Suicide prevention, of course. Drug and alcohol addictions. And they're talking about all these issues that, are, that touch mental health, that, that are all around this issue. Uh, for example, chronic pain. Um, the foster care crisis and, and all of the things that that can set off as far as trauma, et cetera. Uh, infertility and the, the, the uh, depression uh, that can arise out of that. PTSD with first responders. Issues surrounding race, ethnicity, and mental illness. Uh, the, the effects of pornography on families and individuals. Uh, and, 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 and special needs families and the issues that we bring as well. That's, of course, what my wife and I were there um, to talk about. Our... Our topic was, was simple. In fact, we were like, well, we want to do this, but we also want to go see all these other breakouts because this is like very interesting stuff, but we weren't allowed because we had to teach. So, but here's what we were talking about. We were just coming with our own story and the story of you guys. You guys, I, like say, I love bragging on you. We brag so much on this congregation because, I mean, I've talked to so many special needs families who have, who have gone into a church and their kid made noise or something and somebody looked at them and tisk tisked them and said, don't you, don't you ever discipline your kid? What's your problem? Right? Or said, you just need to find another church. And they've been so hurt. I've talked to so many like this. And I'm so, so thankful to be able to say, no, no, no. That's not how it's done. Let me tell you how it's done. Let me tell you about the people in our lives. And it didn't happen. It happened well before we were on staff here. Um, so here... here at this thing, I'll come back to that in a second. At this conference, the, the keynote speaker was, was Kay Warren. And she, of course, is the, the wife of, of Rick Warren. And their son took his own life about six years ago or something. And that was all over the country. And so since then, they're talking about this issue. And here's something Kay said. She said there are, I think she said, 43 million Americans, it's estimated, dealing with some mental health issue. 43 million. And she said this, we will never have enough therapists to deal with that. Now, she is a huge believer and we are huge believers in therapy. Let me tell you that right now. There's too many times people have over-spiritualized stuff like this and not dealt with it, with the chemical side of it, with the physical side of it, with the emotional side, all these things that need to be dealt with. It's not just spiritual. So we are huge believers in therapy and counseling here and we take advantage of it ourselves as pastoral staff. 
But her point was, her, her, her uh, message was this. She says, this is too many. Uh, we, we can't get everyone to see a therapist. But you know what? The church is perfectly positioned to be able to love people and surround them on their journey and help them through it. It was, it was a beautiful message. And I thought, oh, this is our story. Because when we came in, I was broken as all get out. Let me tell you. I'm still somewhat, but I, you know, hopefully I'm not, okay. When we came in here, it was, I mean, Joshua offered me a job when I was going through the dark night of the soul. And I told the, the eldership, you guys, I got nothing to offer. You don't understand. I am so low and messed up right now. And they said, we're not going to leave you alone. We're going to walk you through this. And it was amazing that it actually worked. You guys just kept loving us. And it wasn't just sitting with Joshua or Doug or Jeff or Red, although all of that happens. That was a, that was a part of people who were willing to listen. It was also this. It was also people like you coming over with meals or just coming over and just coming up and saying, we're praying for you. I just want you to know that. Or going out to coffee or, or just all kinds of things. Can we babysit your kids? You guys can go have a date. All of these things, it has a magical healing effect. You guys were agents of Isaiah 61. This is the culture that we, I think, should, should be church culture in general. So, this was our story because we never actually sat with therapists. We probably should have, let me be honest with you. But at a, what, what brought the healing was a relationship. What brought the healing was true conversation and allowing one another to be in process. Let me ask you, is, what, what does this do? Because to me, I get, on one hand, I get really excited and encouraged because I'm like, yes, the church is taking some of these things on and not being afraid of them. We're going to remove the stigma from those things. The other side of me goes, <gasps> there's a lot of brokenness. <laughs> you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. And I don't know what to do about all this, you know? So how do I engage? I want to examine our engagement here. So for the, the last little bit, I want to talk about it from this side. Um, how, how do we engage? Um, sometimes for some, of, for some of you guys, you've got this figured out. You've got this figured out. You know what you're about. You understand what God's called you to. And you're really good at, at diving in there. And, and with the other stuff, you're, you're comfortable enough to say, yeah, that's, I can't actually do that because I'm so over here. But I know who, you're really good with that. But this is a difficult thing for a lot of us. It's a difficult thing for me sometimes of understanding here's what, here's what I can do and here's what I shouldn't do. So I can get paralyzed. But the first thing is there's just so much to do, see? That mentality, like it gets so overwhelmed. There's just so much to do. And we talk about lots of this stuff here. We talk a lot about every child and the foster care issues. We talk obviously about special needs. We talk about so many things. And, you can, and we're, we're connected to so many areas that need love and need kingdom attention, right? Here's what I want to say to you. This is understandable. It's very easy to get overwhelmed. But here's what I want to say to you. I think we should all take a deep breath and say this to ourselves. I am small. You see, you're not supposed to fix everything. One of the great beauties of living in the digital age is we can see so much. And that's also the great curse of the digital age. We can see too much. You can see anytime anything bad happens. And then you go, oh, somebody needs to do something. I gotta do something. And then you see over here, oh, 
all the crises are little windows that come at us and that can overwhelm us because it's like, oh my goodness. No, it's really good that those things are out there because it raises awareness of these things. But you guys, we as individuals, we can't take all that on. You can't. You're limited. You're small. I'm small too. Here's the beauty of that. You were never supposed to take it on by yourself in the first place. You're a part of a body. You're a part of an Isaiah 61 team. You're a part of a movement. In fact, there are people on your movement that don't even know they're on your movement. Like those nurses I talked about before. There are plenty of people out there that are working toward the rebuilding even though they don't know Jesus. In other words, God's doing a lot of stuff. You see? He's doing a lot of stuff that you can't see. In other words, as, as Gabriel himself said to Clark the Herald Angel one time, it's not on you. That's good news, I think. So in other words, let's trust one another. Let's trust that we can work together. So that's the first thing that can paralyze us. Another one is a critical spirit. Man, I dealt with this uh, uh, when, when we were going down to this conference. Somebody started trying to bait me online about that. I'm like all excited about going to this thing. Somebody tried to bait me and it was sort of like, I knew where they were going with this and I could just see. I'm like, oh no, this is another person that thinks that they've got it all worked out and they want to sit from their computer and just be like. And I just wanted to say, I didn't engage because I know like I talk to you guys so much about not getting into this that I'm like, they're going to string me up if I get into a fight with this guy in line. So I totally did it. Um, but I wanted to tell him this, listen, right now I'm in the middle of trying to help some people. Like we're trying to get churches to wake up and see the need and so they can really embrace people. So why don't you put your keyboard away? A little thing, a cute little thing that you can say whatever you want and feel good about yourself as if you've done something because you haven't done anything. I'm trying to do a thing right now. I'm, maybe he has done a lot, but not in that situation. I'm like, you don't understand what you're talking about like right now. Let's just, man, rather than getting sucked into this critical thing, let's just, let's just be about our father's business, you know? And I'm not just talking about fellow believers. This happened last year or a while back. I had, I had an extended family member that was going off online about the evils of DHS, about the evils of the foster care system or foster care people and was accusing them of all kinds of stuff. And I'm sitting back here and my blood's starting to boil because I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Because we work with enough of DHS people. It's like, listen, they're just people. They're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But let me tell you, they have an incredibly difficult job and they're trying desperately to take care of these children. So rather than sitting back here and spouting and saying, man, 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 why, don't, why don't you volunteer to become a foster parent instead? You know what I'm saying? That I just, I have, I, this is just, this kind of thing, this kind of ultra critical thing as if spouting a little opinion and putting it out there does anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. It just makes you feel superior. So let's not get sucked into that. That's the world's way. That's not our way. That's not Isaiah 61. We rebuild. Amen? That was a mini rant in there, but I felt like I had to do it. Another is a consumer mentality. This is another thing that, that is so a part of our culture that we have to actively push back against it. The consumer looks for how can I benefit? How can I, what can I get out of this thing? And this happens a lot of times. Uh, well, this, this infects us in the church as well. It infects us sometimes when we come in and we're just looking around for how can the body of Christ serve me? How can you... How can you keep me interested? Um, sometimes, honestly, I know it's a term, I use this term sometimes, but I don't really like it very much, and the term is getting fed. You know, the getting fed, because it makes it sound, well, it makes it sound like, like you guys can't 
partake of anything of God unless we come along and like give it to you in a planet. It's like, no, 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 no. You guys are grown-ups. Like, you know him. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, but sometimes we can get pulled into this sort of consumeristic thing of like, well, how can the church serve me? And instead of actually, it's almost like, uh, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for you. Like that kind of thing of like, you know, we have something to offer and you guys have something to offer. And I don't think this is a big problem with you guys or anything. I'm just saying, this is one of those cultural things. In the West, we are critical and we are consumers. And we have to understand that that is the water that we're swimming in and, and, and just determine that we're, we're not going to be that way. Amen? Does that make sense? All right. This one, though, is one I think many of us struggle with. How can I engage if I myself am still broken? If I am working through my own brokenness? And we've talked a lot about that uh, this, this year already, about looking inside of ourselves and seeing places when we're like, we still have hurts, we still have hangups, we still have pain, we still have maybe our own addictions that we're working through, uh, issues of sin, trying to break out of these things. And, and it's easy to look around and go, how can I engage in the state that I'm in? And I want to tell you, I get that. Oh, I so get that. And again, I think of when, when this church decided to hire me when I told them I got nothing to give. But here's the truth. I actually did. I actually did. Now, was I ready to go just full bore and meet with all the angry people? No. Was I ready to just dive in full? No, I wasn't. In fact, they had to really stand by me. They, they guarded me. They, they intercepted people for me. They really did. They're like, no, no, no. He doesn't have the emotional bandwidth for this meeting that you want to have with him right now. So no. Isn't that great? What great people to work with that can do that. So here's what I'm telling you. In the end, I actually did have things to offer. I just felt like I was too broken. And I, I, I tend to think this. No matter how broken we are, there, are, there is still stuff we can do. I'm not saying you can shoulder the load if you're not 100%. But there are things still that you have to offer even in that broken place. I read a book recently by a man named Henry Nowen called uh, The Wounded Healer, and he talks a lot about this. Like, we're all wounded, all of us. You see me and Joshua up here. I mean, if you guys still think, I don't know. Like, we, we talk so much about our broken places up here, and you know what? Somehow, the Lord still works. See? If he can work with a mess that Joshua and I, I think he'd be okay with him saying he's a mess. I'm a mess. We're, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're kind of a messy church here. We just are. But you know what? God does stuff in the midst of it. So if you feel like, I'm wounded. You know what? You're in good company. So are we. And we're working through that. And we're finding healing. And we're still moving forward. You don't need to come to the end of that in order to be useful in the kingdom, to partake. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's okay. Let me tell you. You're in process. That's okay with us. Do you hear me? That's okay that you're in process. That's okay you don't have it worked out. We don't have it worked out either. So we'll figure it out together. Yeah? Fine. Let's go to the end part. So how can I find my place? Okay? This is the, this is the big thing. So how, how, maybe you're asking, well, how can I find my role here? Well, just a few things I'm going to throw out. First of all, remember last week Doug talking about inviting God into all the areas? Let's invite God into the planning of our schedules. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to talk to God about this. Like, where do, I, where do I fit something in as far as rebuilding? Whether it be working, maybe it's working with a local ministry, maybe it is just inviting that person who's going through a divorce that's your next door neighbor. 
whatever those things are, to be able to look in, to, be, to be able to look out and say, "How can I help the rebuilding process, Lord? I need your wisdom on this." So talk to God about this very specifically. I have a feeling you might have something to say. Second, what's in your hand? You remember when God asked that to Moses? He's like, what, what's in your hand, Mo? And he, he's got this stick. Good, okay, we'll take that stick. Yeah, you got a stick. Okay, this will be the best stick ever, promise you. You know? And he uses that stick, right? What, what about you? What's in your hand? What has he given you? Giftings? What giftings has he given you? What, what, what about your positioning? <laughs> maybe, maybe, it's your, maybe it's your role. Maybe it's your, your career. What, what, where are you positioned? What about, what about even the place that you live? Because he's, he's going to empower you where you are. You see? Where you are, not where you wish you, you were. He's going he's gonna to meet that. So what's in your hand? What makes your heart burn inside you? This is something I think to pay attention to. Maybe there's an issue that makes your heart just like, oh. Maybe when you hear, for example, about human trafficking or something, you're like, oh, that's so evil. Like, oh, I want to do that. And you know what? Yes, it is. That burning inside you, that's a good thing. Pay attention to that burning. Because God might have you do something. Actually, you know what? I promise you, he will have you do something. Maybe it's just praying. But that's an excellent place to start. I shouldn't even say the word just praying. Because praying is a powerful thing, you guys. We're seeing answers to prayer when we are uniting our faith. So start there. Have you prayed about it? That burning? Okay, good. Let's pray about it. And, and, and it might be more than that. It might be more than that. It might be getting involved in a way. It might be, I, I, I don't know what that is, but pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on inside you. Finally, when you're wondering, how can I find my place? A really good place to start is to pray on these issues. Now, Kristen was talking about this prayer list, which we pray about every month. And, and I, don't, I don't know how many of you guys have seen this list, but man, I mean, just stuff we've already talked about this morning. Um, we're talking about addictions. We're talking about uh, suicide. We're talking about, there's a whole bunch of stuff here just on health care, on mental health. Um, there's all kinds of things. The police and fire department, they want to, uh, um, to, to form a mental health crisis center. They want that to be established in our community. Did you know that? The only reason I know this is because the prayer list. There's a thing. So in other words, a lot of these broken places that you already have this burning inside you for, you want to see something done, a lot of the stuff, the body of Christ is already, like other people, you're not the only one that has this, see? So a lot of things are already happening. So sometimes just joining with the, joining with the rest of the Isaiah 61 community and praying together will help us to find that place. Maybe it is just praying hard against that, or maybe there is actually something you can, you can do to get involved in those areas. But I think when we bring these things before the Lord, sometimes surprising things happen, and we can end up finding our place. And sometimes finding what you're not called to do is just as important as finding what you're called to do. Let me say that. Remember, the body of Christ is big. You don't have to do everything. Please don't try to do everything, otherwise we're going to be putting you back together because you will burn out, and that's not spiritual. Burnout's not spiritual. So, just end it. Join the restoration. This is a movement, and it's a movement, really, just the kingdom of God movement, isn't it? But let's see it this way. Any, any rebuilding that we're doing is the Lord's work. So let's find, what's my role in that? And I have no doubt that 
amazing things are gonna continue to happen here. And it's not just gonna flow out of the pastoral staff, it's gonna flow out of the ministry, out of you guys, out of all of us together. Amen? Let's stand together. We have our uh, elders, or, sorry, the uh, prayer team, elders, you guys come forward. If you guys need prayer for anything, please come get prayer. These guys, they know how to pray. And let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you for all the beautiful things that you are doing. We thank you, Lord, that you're doing invisible things. And even if we think things are so, so broken, they can never be healed. We thank you, Lord, that you are on the move. And we trust that you are on the move. So help us, Lord, to understand all of these things. Help us to understand where we fit into this. And above all, help us to trust you in this process. Trust you with ourselves, with our broken places, Lord. Trust you with our futures to trust you with our loved ones who are hurting. Help us to rebuild the ancient ruins with you, Jesus. Amen. 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 We love you guys. Please come get prayer if you need it.